like the subject of a Godsmack song. Um, I was going for Hoobastank. I don't think you were, but I'm willing to move on. <laughs> <laughs> Live from the mundangerous Fortnite Dab on My Haters Graves in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 184 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, friend becomes foe as we discuss player versus player encounters. But first the rogue traders run a bunch of errands in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, the player killer makes her party members suffer in the character creation forge. So first up, a word from another podcast here on the Don't Split the Podcast Network. Dames and dragons. Some have said, hilarious. Some have said, I cried. Some have said, it isn't just the best D&D content I've found. It's some of the best content I've experienced ever. Some have said Corbin is the best part. Well, some have said Fran is the best part. Only you say that, Fran. Some have said, shut up, Corbin! Some have said, this podcast is jam on toast. Some being me, Laika. <laughs> me, Laika, have said. <laughs> me, Laika, this podcast. Some have even dared to say, listen to Dames and Dragons, a D&D actual play podcast on Don't Split the Podcast Network. And we're back. So Shane, where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? So the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader game played using Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. And on the Death World Iblis Prime in the frontier city of Meridian, the Rogue Traders have set out to establish a colony in the name of the Holy Throne of Terra and Prophet. And after risking their life and limb trudging through the jungle they have set up a secure mining camp uh, in the gilded canopy the jungle that surrounds meridian and now everyone is running around like crazy trying to keep that whole enterprise going it's very easy you just need to wake up every morning burn back the jungle reestablish the perimeter with men with guns uh and then keep from getting eaten by the apex predators right and the then, invisible apex predators. And then the whole time, all you have to do is take constant scans of the minerals underneath, drill core samples constantly, analyze them, um, keep your heretic from committing too much heresy and uh, enveloping you all in a Zinchian warp storm. You know, la, just... la, 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 la. I don't know what he's doing and I don't care. Exactly. But it's not all fun in games because Flair is out gallivanting, isn't he? Yeah, so... Uh, you guys have decided that you've met every major player in Meridian except for one, the uh, Sentinels, which are the sort of mercenary slash intelligence outfit um, that provides sort of security as well as a constabulary presence in Meridian. And Flair wants to meet them, but he wants to meet them with some leverage. So he starts looking for, he starts looking into it and finds a a Digilord Technoganger bookie named Fiber, who just happens to be owed big by several of the Sentinels. So Doc is continuing his crazy research into the Emerald Stalkers, the Invisible Apex Predators. Uh, my character, Trank, is directing some of my armsmen to follow him and his aides because we're pretty sure that very bad things are going to happen if he is left completely unchecked. Um, I believe he did say out loud with his mouth, uh, I intend to reanimate a, star- a stalker corpse, and it will serve us. Yeah, so your arm's been snuffed that out pretty quick. Yeah, that's terrible. You're only supposed to do that to actual people. <laughs> right. <laughs> you can make servitors. You don't make animal servitors. That's disgusting. Uh, in other areas of biological entrepreneurism, Doc does declare that the Emerald Stalker's adaptive camouflage cells can be exploited economically. He's able to uh- culture them in his lab. Yeah, we're going to make some sort of thing where we will be able to utilize them in our tech to give to our armsmen who hopefully won't be killed by those things. Yeah, it's look, he's he doesn't have a business plan yet. All he knows is that he could grow the cells on their own. Do you remember that one of those scenes in one of the Iron Man movies where a guy is trying on some sort of like prototype suit and it just like the top half spins around and his his back is just completely twisted? Uh-huh. Yeah, it breaks his back. Uh <laughs> 
that's basically what's happening here. <laughs> We're throwing armsmen at the problem and saying, uh, we are looking for some volunteers, some test subjects, if you will. Fortunately, they're born to this. So uh, they all said yes. I don't know. I didn't hear what they said, but, you know, we sent them along. Well, they've already replaced their, their torsos with uh, mechadendrites anyway, so they can twist. All right. So Seneschal Trix and the mining team, who are now wearing Imperial issue hard hats, uh, do finally identify an optimal drill site and break ground on the first mining shaft. Yeah, it's almost like somebody in this party is making progress towards your stated goal. <laughs> It's almost like somebody in the party rolled well this session. (laughs) (laughs) And everyone else eh, either failed or rolled poorly and is sort of like treading water. (laughs) So back to Meridian. Uh, Flair does go to pay that bookie fiber a visit at his favorite haunt, which is another shabby garage warehouse filled with disassembled auto carriages and ganger tufts. Um, Is he going to accidentally murder this guy too? Almost certainly. Okay, well, we'll find out next week. So this week, we are talking about PvP, player versus player, which is what, like spy versus spy? Predator versus predator. It is a bit like that, actually. So, okay, this is player versus player conflict. Uh, It actually used to be pretty common in the early days of RPGs. I mean, you hear stories about, like, Gygax and uh, who's the guy who made Rary? (laughs) Good question. Anyway, Gygax and his friends back in the day, basically, you know, like they would loot some dungeons, get some gold, uh, and then they would also fight each other and like take the stuff that each other had looted because like that was a bunch of fun, right? It's sort of like it was like the early days of MMOs where, you know, you weren't necessarily looking to tell a story or have great gameplay or just sort of like hacking at things and seeing it, seeing what happened. Yeah. And you weren't necessarily rolling need. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You were just first to click the loot gets it. Uh, but there has been a renewed interest in PvP, particularly PvP combat, since um, MMORPGs, uh, since like online uh, RPGs like uh, you know Diablo and Warcraft have come about. Uh, and especially since, what are these new Battle Royale games? You play those, don't you? No, absolutely not. All the time. You're playing it right now. I I am definitely not. If there's a reason why this episode is terrible and is because Shane is also playing video games right now. I don't even own Fortnite. <laughs> All right, so PvP has a bad reputation for many of these reasons. Um, if you think about it, though, the term actually means character versus character conflict. But one of the reasons that it has a bad reputation is that it often spills out into this player versus player conflict. You know, uh, if you stab my character, I, the real person at the table, am probably going to be pretty pissed. So, you know, maybe don't do that. Yeah. Or the flip side, which is I am mad at you as a player at the table. And so my character is going to resolve this conflict at the table in our game. It's much easier than actually talking about it like adults because, you know, the chances are neither of us is actually an adult. Right. So while these concerns are warranted, uh, it can be fun to fight against one another at the table if there's buy-in from everyone who's involved. You know, it's just kind of fun to cut loose. Hey, let's let's go at each other. Let's let's fight and see if like these builds or these characters, um, you know, can actually defeat each other. Like we we've sort of been having this like Legolas versus Gimli contest about who's killed the most orcs. Why don't we just like have at each other? Let's see who's killed the most Gimlis. Yeah. One, one Gimli, done. (laughs) (laughs) Headshot, over. Yeah, it could be uh, cathartic to get your Marvel Civil War moment. So even if there isn't agreement in advance from every player at the table, though, if you are a GM who wants to throw in a bit of PvP, it can be a useful tactic to throw them off balance, uh, as long as you're doing it the right way. So first off, if you're going to include this in your game, you're going to need some sort of in-game rationale, right? Like, unless... Uh, people are basically showing up with character sheets and being like, all right, this is uh, the session where we're all going to like fight each other in like big empty rooms. Then you need a reason in the story of your campaign why this is actually happening or why it's allowed or like why is it, this isn't going to destroy the, the party. You mean Darwinian character creation isn't a viable way to, to pick a party? Uh, it really only works within the first few sessions, I think. <laughs> Maybe like a year into the campaign, it's probably too late. I mean, not if you TPK. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you know, if everyone decides, 
we're kind of done with this. We want a TPK and we want to move on. I think a giant free-for-all is a great way to go out. <laughs> right. All right. So it it's a bad way to resolve intra-party disputes. You know, if characters have issues with each other and they've been sort of like coming to a head, they're, they're bubbling up. Don't institute some sort of like PvP uh, situation where like the rogue and the paladin can just start stabbing at each other in order to resolve that conflict. It it doesn't really work out in terms of the story. It, it's better to contrive some sort of way that the PCs have to fight each other or are allowed to fight each other in a safe space. So a couple ways to do that. Um, any type of mirror of opposition or evil twin scenario or the uh, the dark version of the party kind of thing uh, can can be a great way to fight each other. Yeah, if you really have someone who needs to scratch that PvP itch and it's just like, I don't know, I think I want to like betray the party, you can al- always be like, well, I mean, you got kidnapped by a doppelganger. Why don't you play the doppelganger for a few sessions? Um, well, of course, with the intent that like the party is supposed to defeat the doppelganger in right. the end. But it does take some work off the GM's plate of being like, all right, how do I run this particular character who's supposed to have the exact same abilities as another character at the table? Like, They've been doing it, so just let them do it. Uh, mind control is always another way, uh, a viable way to force conflict upon the party. Yeah, that works better in short-term scenarios. Uh, you get a little bit of PvP for a few rounds in the middle of a combat. Uh, and then, of course, there is always the inevitable betrayal. Uh, I, this differs from the sudden betrayal. Uh, if you think about it, we've talked before about, you know, we know that Doc in our Rogue Trader game is probably going to turn into a demon and try to attack the rest of the party. But we know mm-hmm. that above the table, even though our characters don't actually know that. So, like, we're all prepared for it and we're kind of looking forward to it. So, let's talk about some methods in which to introduce PvP to the game. I think probably the easiest way is just to hold a tournament. Like, it's really easy to be like, hey, it's the annual tournament that the, you know, the king and queen hold every single year. Uh, why don't you guys roll up and like fight each other for prizes and goodies? I love this idea in like in those systems where bad things happen at random, um, where like what what's supposed to be like a test of skill or you know like fights to blood or whatever can just accidentally end up in like you know losing a leg or, or losing an arm. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm thinking like the original like Warhammer Fantasy where you know like. Any any brush with dice was potentially catastrophic. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're right. If you were playing this in Warhammer Fantasy, like you'd sort of be honor-bound to take part in the tournament. You know, especially like if your liege lord is like, hey, we can win a bunch of money. Like, go be in this tournament. Mm-hmm. So everyone does. But, like, there, yeah, there's an excellent chance that, like, you take grievous injuries. Well, because obviously as a character <laughs> in Warhammer Fantasy, you're like, well, do I get to keep the outfit? Because if I get to keep the outfit, I'm one step closer to my trappings necessary to level up. And I'll take that. In order to advance in my class, I need a blunderbuss. <laughs> Where do I get one of those? Why, it just so happens that it's the first prize in an archery tournament. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I like the idea that uh, like above the table, it's something that the um, that the group does like once a year. Like, you know, hey, it's May. We're going to do our... Um, our tournament because like in our game world it's come back around to like the rites of spring and like there's an annual uh, tournament in the game world that like all of our characters always go to so kind of like you know occasionally people will have like Christmas be a thing that actually happens in their game Mm -hmm. you know and you sort of celebrate actual Christmas with like presents for the characters right Uh, you can also have each individual character be sponsored by like a noble house or a particular guild you know basically people have selected champions to be in this tournament and then no matter who wins in um, in the party, like their sponsor can become a patron for the entire party. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that a lot. So if you're going to do this, you're going to want to like contrive a couple of things. First off, just like go ahead and hand wave PC death for the most part, unless it's a game like Warhammer Fantasy. But like if this is like 5e D&D and you're rolling into a tournament, just be like, great, there are you know, healers on hand, you know, next to you. And they're going to make sure that you're stabilized before you have the chance to like fail that third death saving throw. Right. Right. In terms of organizing it, you can use either random or pre-selected brackets. Uh, You could do something like single elimination, but you're going to want to make sure that you're giving eliminated players something to do. Um, So either a loser's bracket or some type of role playing, you know, uh, stakes going on in the, in the periphery, or maybe they can, 
um, influence the match that's actually occurring. Uh, one thing I like is the idea of if you're all sponsored by different patrons, whoever finishes last is going to earn the enmity of that patron. So while you might be fighting each other as losers, you need to figure out exactly who is it that you want to be your enemy and make sure that you contrive to to finish ahead of that guy. Yeah, I really like that idea that you know the first person eliminated is sort of like beset by their patron for embarrassing them and they're sort of dragged off to be you know punished or even murdered and then like the next two or three people to be eliminated have to be like wait where where they go right uh, uh i saw them being dragged kicking and screaming down into the basement <laughs> <laughs> so only one of you is actually fighting for your life <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh also like when you're deciding how the the brackets are going to work, um, you know, talk to the, the party or maybe just think about like who uh, at the table is going to enjoy like what particular dynamic. Like it can be selected in that, hey, you get to know who you're going to who you're going to fight, who would be a good matchup. You know, a wizard's duel sounds really awesome or, you know, two um, characters who are like, you know, in hand to hand combat all the time or, you know, the ones who are always bragging about who can kill the most. It might be nice to have them go head to head. But it can also be a lot of fun just to like pull names out of a hat and just see what happens. And that way, like nobody really has any prep and the spellcasters don't have time to like specifically tailor the spells that they've prepared to their opponent because that gives them a much bigger advantage. And in terms of actually running it at the table, I think it's a good idea to keep a single order of of action for the table, uh, but just keep the three matches happening simultaneously. Um, that way everybody is equally engaged in everything that's going on and the combat uh, flows a lot faster versus trying to resolve one combat, then a second combat, then a third combat, and like you're sitting out two out of every three fights. So the other way you can do a tournament is like forget the brackets, uh, forget the one-on-one combat, just do a giant battle royale, you know, throw everybody into one big map, um, you know, randomly generated or like set locations to to enter the arena and just have at it last man standing. Which almost certainly ends up with six party members destroying everyone else together and then fighting amongst themselves. <laughs> just, just deciding exactly when I pull the trigger on this betrayal. Mm-hmm. So this does have the effect of leveling the playing field. Like if you have, for example, um, you know, characters with builds that just are weaker or maybe you have someone who's lower level or you have... Uh, you know, someone who's playing a party-friendly or support class, like, you know, bards are giving away uh, inspiration dice. It's a useless ability if you can't use it on yourself and, you know, it's just one-on-one. Um, that gives them more of a chance to survive early on by, like, teaming up with other people, by, uh, you know, no one really wants to eliminate the bard right away because they can be helpful um, and keeps uh, people who are really strong out of the gate from necessarily dominating in successive one-on-one matches like the the person who's perceived as the strongest might very likely be the first person to go down because everyone else gangs up on them another way to run pvp is through a race um this will help level the playing field for the characters that are more skill oriented and you want to run this like you know the ben-hur chariot race or like a death race you know the type of thing where you're allowed to uh, attack other racers you're allowed to sort of use underhanded tricks but there's there's limits right you can't just you know shoot them with an rpg right like if this is a stagecoach race like you're not allowed to just shoot their horses in the head right (laughs) well but i don't know maybe you could try to drive them into something where their horses die (laughs) right like it's okay to to wreck their vehicle it's not okay to just uh immobilize it off the bat right or like you know we're um we're doing the Kessel Run. Uh, you 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 can't just use nukes. Well, which Kessel Run? Uh, all of them, because they're all converging in canon. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> uh, I think we'll probably do another episode in the future fully on races. Oh, uh, we've so- done lots of episodes on races, Ishan. Oh, ooh, fair point. Look at that double entendres. Uh, and another way to um, let your players have at each other is with realm management. So in, this is a situation where each PC controls a faction that is in opposition to each other. We've talked about, you know, we've done this in our Birthright game. Uh, it could work really well in, in um, something like Ravnica, 
uh, the Magic the Gathering setting where there it's a giant city uh, with 10 different guilds who are all sort of like kind of opposed to each other, but also sometimes working together. Yeah, this is going to be a departure from your traditional role-playing game. This is going to land more like a strategy game or, or like a game of risk because you aren't having direct con- conflict between the characters themselves, but more conflict between the characters' assets. Yeah, and in this situation, the particular build of a character, like the levels that you take or like where you've placed your points is less important than probably like what your player is good at, which can be nice, especially if you have, you know, tactically minded players who aren't necessarily scratching that itch in the particular game that you're playing. You know, you happen to be playing the bruiser. It's kind of nice to sort of take a step back for a moment and still play that same character, but, you know, they're in charge of... um, minions essentially so like it doesn't necessarily matter how like strong their arm is in this particular instance so to make this work of course you want to make sure that your game has a satisfying set of mechanics for either territory management or um you know more of an asset level conflict resolution mechanic Uh, things like risk is an example but things like diplomacy are another one where you don't necessarily even need to introduce randomness to it but the, the idea of the social interaction and um, the territory level interaction is what you're looking for. Yeah, you're right. You don't even necessarily need to roll uh, dice uh, or even compare like who has committed the most troops, right? It can just be a table negotiation about like, I will let you have this um, this particular territory and I will move my uh, minions out of this map. But, you know, I want concessions elsewhere um, in terms of like, access to particular supplies i mean i guess you could kind of play Catan with this yeah i I think this also works well um in games that are a little more like esoteric in how they approach role-playing like i'm thinking of like worldwide wrestling right where you play both a wrestler and the wrestler's persona um and so where you can have these kind of conflicts inter like between party members, right, between players, but it impacts you, you know, concessions in your public-facing persona might give you something valuable to you in your, like, private person. Mm. I also kind of like the idea that you began playing a an asset management game, like Catan, and then it eventually evolved into an RPG. <laughs> I, I don't know that I would want <laughs> Catan to be my starting point for that. <laughs> it doesn't have to be, but I, it's I have weird a lot that of friends this kingdom who, is all hexes. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of friends who only play Catan, and I keep being like, "How do I get them into an RPG?" Uh, yeah, uh, maybe once we're done with the board, there are then... now story-based Catan uh, expansions. Oh yeah, yeah, I have one, but I don't have the base game. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. All right, maybe I'll get them one. All right. I mean, of course, I've played Catan a thousand times. I just why why own the game everyone else does <laughs> <laughs> all right so those are all sort of like contrived ways that you can bring pvp to the table and of course you can also just do like the street fight you know we are in pick random location uh we start on opposite sides of whatever counts as an arena and we just have at each other until one person yields or dies like there might be no reason for why you're fighting there might be no backstory it could just be like we show up in an empty room with builds <laughs> it's it's fight club yeah yeah exactly and then probably the uh other way that you can do pvp is to play a game that's specifically sort of geared toward it um there are a lot of games that gravitate toward it even though they're not so not necessarily designed for it like most white wolf games i think <laughs> tend to lead to infighting uh but games like paranoia like you're supposed to be backstabbing each other or everyone is john is specifically competitive or fiasco So if you find yourself in a PvP fight uh, or a PvP session, what are some tactics that you can use to uh, even out the odds? Well, I think some, some level of system mastery helps a lot here because most RPGs just really aren't designed for one-on-one PC combat. You know, you've most characters tend to be high damage and have uh, low hit points or be, you know, not particularly resilient And that's because you're made for killing lots of weaker monsters. You know, if you have too many uh, hit points, then the monsters can't really put a dent in you. But if you're not dishing out enough damage, then just, you know, everything takes too long. So characters in RPGs tend to be glass cannons. 
Yeah, and in most games, that means your initiative and your action economy are the most important things to keep an eye on. Uh, the person who goes first and does most on their turn is the person who's most likely to win. Yeah, usually the best thing to do is to alpha strike. Uh, unless, again, System Master here, if you're playing a particular game where there are hard counters to, like, you know, big flashy moves that don't cost a lot in resources, then you're going to want to keep biding your time until you have an opening. Uh, if you are in a game with a death spiral, be extremely aggressive because uh, there's a compound effect from injuring people first. Yeah, and, and if you're in a game that doesn't have a death spiral, then keep in mind your hit point total only matters as a measure of how many packets of damage you take. Um, so that's that's where you want to think through this is like, if you have 80 hit points and damage comes in packets of 30 typically, then you can only get hit th- twice and then you're you're down. But if you have 60 hit points and damage comes in packets of 8, then you have much more resilience, right? Like you're you're going to take more hits. Compare that against how much damage you do and how much hit points your your uh friendly PC opponents are likely to have and and that's how you can determine how strong you actually are. And the flip side there where you you can't make somebody weaker by working through their damage spiral, that means you only really want to focus on hitting somebody if you can take them down to zero, right? So figure out how many hits you need to put in there and prioritize targets that you can get to zero. Right, or like look at the trade-off, right? Um, you know, if you have the opportunity to do some damage, that sounds good, but make sure that you are not then putting yourself in a position to take a a commensurate amount of damage based on your hit points. Right. Uh, Now, even if you're not playing a game where there's a a death spiral, you probably want to be aggressive anyway, because again, most of you are glass cannons. And in most RPGs, short-term healing is is pretty weak. Like, it's going to be difficult for you to come back. So you can play a game of attrition as long as you are on the winning side of that equation. So you do a little bit of damage here, that's fine. It probably takes them more effort to try to heal that damage uh, than it does for you to deal it out. And even if they do, even if they are healing, that uh, means that they're not taking the time to attack you. Keep in mind that resources are limited for most characters, uh, and resource use ends up with its own death spiral. Uh, a character at the end of the workday typically is weaker and easier to kill than a character at the beginning. So if you can spend cheap resources to negate expensive ones um, early on in a fight, then you have the advantage um, when it comes to the mid and late game. Yeah, if you can use you know a low-level spell um, to like tease out one of their high-level spells, great. If you can use an attack, like a swing of a sword, and force them to use a limited resource spell slot, that's even better. Right. Also keep in mind that consistency and flexibility are both key here. So like especially in a tournament where you're hopefully um, engaging in multiple combats in a row, it's better to be able to, to handle many different types of opponents than to be specialized for one particular target. Um, basically, you want to be spec'd to handle um, the person you're most likely to fight against rather than the person who you think might be the most difficult to beat. Because actually there's an excellent chance that that person is going to be eliminated by random chance earlier before you even get to fight them. So like, you know, look at the rest of the field. And if there are, you know, five tieflings, make sure that you're not bringing fire damage to the game. Actually, don't bring fire damage at all. No fire damage. It also means you shouldn't plan on pulling off multi-step combos. Um, it's it's very hard to get all the pieces in place if you need a control step and a power-up step and a delivery mechanism. Like, all three of those things are unlikely to happen uh, in the chaos of fighting another PC. And if you're interrupted at any point, you lose the value of all the pieces. Yeah, like, uh, it might be tempting to bring um, our character creation forge build the one-hit wonder to a, a game like this, but there's so many moving parts in that in order to accomplish, like, a big finish, which, like, to be fair, if you pull off the big finishing move, uh, I think there's almost every character you come up against will be killed by it. Um, but there are just several different ways that people can can dodge out of the way or uh, interrupt your combo like 
things that a player character would do that a regular like D&D enemy wouldn't necessarily do. So then broadly, um, passive abilities tend to be better than active abilities. Things like boost to your defenses, AC or saves, armor, damage reduction, um, condition or damage immunities or any like auras that you can provide uh, end up being broadly more useful just because you don't have to worry about timing them for their most effective outcome they just always work yeah especially in something like a battle royale where like a shield spell is great one-on-one um because you know it's going to protect you from all of this person's attacks but if there are eight people around then it's difficult to know when exactly to use it and you know it only lasts a round just having higher ac is much better and then the the other rule of min maxing is use all your available actions like don't leave action economy on the table right so if you're allowed an action a bonus action and movement use your movement use your bonus action and use your action do not let any of those go to waste and get the most value out of each of those that you can sort of on the flip side of this is hold off on using your reaction or abilities that don't recharge uh, or that won't be available to you again uh, until the last possible moment or like when they're absolutely necessary because it's likely that someone is trying to tease that out of you so that you are left defenseless. When you are building a normal PC for a game, um, I think our advice is typically like, do what is fun. Play a character who's going to be able to do the things that you like to do in combat. You want to be a swashbuckler? Great. Like invest in that acrobatics and you'll be able to do those cool flashy moves like, you know, swinging from the chandelier. But in PvP, ignore that kind of stuff like don't do the fun stuff do the very boring stuff that you are 100 sure is going to work and will just murder them use the save or die it's pvp like you won't have an anticlimactic uh disintegrate <laughs> like it's a pc on the receiving end of it it's going to be a climax yeah <laughs> and there are still plenty of those even in games where you know they've sort of been pulled out for the most part or uh, not focused on anymore like fifth edition D&D. but you know uh if you're playing um fantasy flights dark heresy second edition like use the sniper rifle use an accurate weapon uh use the the full auto burst um with uh with like high penetration weapons like that's how you destroy people because you need to focus on offense uh, at the same time, though, you do want to make sure that you have some emergency defenses in your back pocket for the times when uh, your opponent is going all out and going specifically for the kill. So, like, it's amazing uh, if you can use, you know, a counter spell to block their killing blow. You know, you're just dropping one simple spell or like one shield spell, you know, um, or absorb elements like, OK, great, I've I've hit you with a giant meteor swarm that's my ninth level spell okay i absorb elements that's a first level spell i take half damage um uncanny dodge for example if you're uh, playing a rogue these are all things that prevent you from getting one-shotted and particularly prevent you from getting one-shotted before you you even got to go like if you lose out an initiative you want things that you can still do before the beginning of your first turn it's also a great idea to have uh, an emergency escape hatch in, in reach. So something like an invisibility spell or teleportation or the ability to burrow, something like that, where you know that you'll survive even if you lose. Um, it's always good to be able to dishonorably discharge yourself from this encounter. Yeah, if you can just get away for a little while. Um, all of the parameters for different types of pvp are very different like if a fight just happened to break out then you know there are no rules here just just run away so that you can prep or run away so that you can hide and come back and then assassinate them um if if this is like a a hunger game scenario then like great like burrow into the ground and just wait it out while everyone else murders each other and then you know finish off the lone survivor right uh i think what this all amounts to is just be cheesy as hell huh Oh, yeah, absolutely. All those things where you're like, nah, I'm not going to use that combo because like it makes fights boring or it's like an edge case in the rules uh, or it's just it's not that fun. Nah, nah, do that. Like yep. be the jerk who uses like the the devil's sight darkness combo where like all people can see of you is like 
uh, a 15 foot globe of darkness right all the time so this is sort of um a variation on this but i remember when uh, we were just starting off the rogue trader game and we initially thought that it was a one shot uh so we were just huge jerks and built like ridiculously powerful characters to i don't know if you clear. remember that it was a one-shot until you decided to be huge jerks and not let me play test my con game. <laughs> I and then it became a prologue you. because you're monsters. <laughs> yes, yes, we are monsters. We did, however, then build the characters that are uh, in the current game that we're recapping, and they were sent to murder the old ones. Uh-huh. Which was a nice variation on PvP because you were playing them, right? But we also knew exactly what capabilities they had because we had actually built them. Yeah, and also fun is that uh, since the people who had built them and played them were sitting at the table and they tended not to actually attack their own mirrored player just by coincidence, uh, it was fun for me to be like, hey, Jim, what would your character do in this situation? How would How would he handle it? Right. Your extremely pragmatic, uh, borderline psychopathic character. What would they do? Oh, right. they'd pull grenades off of their vest in the middle of the room? Ah, okay. Well, they do. <laughs> Suicide charge it is. <laughs> oh, wait. A, grenade, a, a self-imposed grenade cascade? <laughs> Don't mind if I do. <laughs> yeah, there was a fair amount of that. It was, um, what does your character do, Trank? Oh, uh, Oh, they would lunge for the sniper rifle is what they would do, mm-hmm. obviously. Oh, and then they have a they have a no action aim because like I built them. Uh, yep. yeah, and then they would they would call shot to the head. That yep. yeah, yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, sorry, Angelo. <laughs> and we had we had PvP in the Morning Glory campaign as well. Um, we had some mind control happen to us a few times, uh, and then we also had Bastion's inevitable betrayal, which I think everyone saw coming uh, at the end that Bastion was going to side with Belshalor and attempt to uh, reshape the multiverse in his own image. Yeah. So my favorite thing to do was to drop dominate person on Calic, the paladin, because dear Lord, <laughs> he, he could just, you know, drop all his high level smites. And one, of course that depletes his smites for the rest of the day. And two takes out one of you guys. It was, it was wonderful. I loved it. Um, and yeah, I had to be like, Hey, you know, I didn't need to control him cause he was dominated. Right. So I, I would just be like, what is it that you would do what is the like most effective thing you can do right now to kill the person standing next to you and jim would like look at his sheet and be like uh yeah it's a fifth level smite is what it is is always smites yeah uh again it's going to be on the on the spellcaster so you know (laughs) because that would be the most effective thing i could do well do you hear that ishan that's the sound of a smitten bard I thought it would be louder. Well, then it's time to move on to the character creation forge because somebody's rolling up a new character. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil's Ends Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPT Cast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.totalpartythrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Total Party Thrill. So this week we're brought to you by Kobold Press. Intrigue and adventure awaits you in the Shadow Realm with Courts of the Shadow Fae, a 5th edition planar adventure for 7th to 10th level characters. It was designed by Wolfgang Bauer and Dan Dillon and pits your heroes against the Queen of the Night Magic when she announces that the city of Zobek and its people are hers by ancient right. Is she an elf? Is that why she's invoking ancient stuff? Right? She's like a fey elf. Yeah, I, bet I mean, she has all to be. Elf or fey. Yeah, they're always digging up old documents and being like, look, see? In mm-hmm. 589 AD, this belonged to my family. Well, documents, songs, whatever. Right. Yeah. <laughs> We've been singing this in court for thousands of years. It must be true. So to save the city, you'll need to confront the Shadow Fae in the heart of their own realm. This 148-page adventure contains 100 NPCs, a map with more than 60 locations, and more than 40 combat and role-playing encounters. Did you know that this would be very helpful to someone from our group, Angelo, 
who says he doesn't listen to these ads anymore, but I believe he is because just the other day he said that it took him a few weeks, but he finally realized that we were making fun of him in every ad segment. That's only because his wife accidentally tipped him off. So I do just want to take this opportunity uh, to apologize to the listeners for having to hear about Angela. I'm very sorry. So in Courts of the Shadow Fae, you can raise your status through courtly intrigue and duels of honor. Maybe against each other, huh? And then you can win an audience with the queen herself and free the city or fail terribly and miserably and become her servants who maybe fight for her amusement. Or like maybe you could just be like independent contractors, you know, like you get pulled in for jobs, but only if you choose it. But like, I mean, she knows you're going to take the job because you don't really have anything else going for you. Right. She's like, hey, what would you do for five bucks? And you're like, well, I mean, pretty much anything because, you know, it's expensive here in the realm of night and magic yeah uh heating costs very high yeah and i mean like silver is just super depreciated right now yeah apparently they've got it everywhere which is disappointing because like i converted all my gold to silver because i was like oh yeah silver futures this is where it's at Uh uh-huh i was wrong Okay, while you're ordering new silver futures, let's uh, also order Quartz of the Shadow Fae for 5th edition at cobaltpress.com. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we have brought you the player killer on a silver platter. It's worth nothing. So what is the player killer? Uh, It's here to kill other PCs in combat, either one-on-one or in a giant battle royale. Or just, you know, in a random street fight for no reason. And what's the build? It is Gnome, Divine Soul Sorcerer 17, Hexblade Warlock 3. So this, I think, maybe doesn't seem like the typical, like, ah, it is a super powerful build. Um, I mean, it's a it's a perfectly good build for, like, regular um, D&D. But I think when you are playing pvp and against other people who also know that you're playing pvp what you're really looking for is hard counters to some of the super cheese that that you're going to face uh namely zealot barbarians who cannot die uh 20th level arch druids who also cannot die because they just um shift into an earth elemental or an air elemental every single round and the many huge smite abilities yes exactly plus you know the uh quickened power word kill right off the bat right so first off from gnome we're starting gnome because you know who knows what level you're actually going to be playing this you know tournament in uh but gnomes from the very beginning get advantage on intelligence wisdom and charisma saving throws uh versus magic because you know gnomes are pretty good that means you have advantage on all of those um like save or suck spells like dominates and, and hold persons that let them, you know, like quadruple crit smite you. Then from Divine Soul Sorcerer, we'll get ninth level spells, of course, including wish and power word kill. We're going to get favored by the gods, which lets you add 2d4 uh, to a, well, I guess the important thing here is a saving throw. And you'll also have access to any cleric spell you want. There are, you know, some interesting ones, but the big thing is that you'll be able to have self-healing. And of course, you'll get Subtle Spell and Quicken Spell for your metamagic, two of the most powerful because it prevents you from being countered and you can cast them faster. Yeah, that's probably the most important thing. Subtle is here so that um, you can win a wizard's duel, so that if you need to counter, you can Subtle counter and it can't be recountered. Or right at the very beginning, if someone opens with like um, a Feeble Mind, which is going to completely destroy you right off the back, again, Subtle High-Level Counter Spell. We're done. And Divine Soul has this nice little perk of getting wings. So that helps with a lot of the mobility challenges and control abilities. And of course, if you can't shoot something with wings at range or have wings yourself, it is awful hard to to fight me, Zealot Barbarian. Yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, I can't kill you right now, so I guess I'm just going to fly away. We'll figure this out. (laughs) See ya. So from Warlock, we're really here for... Uh, Eldritch Blast, and you're going to, you know, throw Agonizing Blast onto that because, you know, at high levels, it is a very reliable, um, hard to resist uh, form of damage. You know, you're making a bunch of attack rolls, so this is the opportunity to make crits. It's got a nice long range. You can use it at will. It does a bunch of damage. Um, And force force damage is going to hurt pretty much everybody except for uh, bear barbarians. 
you get Hexblade's Curse, which is nice if you're doing a one-on-one uh, because you can only use it uh, once per short rest. And if you really need to, in a pinch, you can uh, make melee attacks with Charisma. And then, of course, you'll take Devil Sight, um, both to set up your own Darkness Devil Sight combo, but also to uh, eliminate anybody else's cheese. Now, the spells are probably the most important here. We've already talked about Counterspell. Dispel Magic is good. Uh, most of the other people out there who are playing casters are going to be buffing themselves as much as possible. They'll probably go invisible and then begin buffing themselves. Uh, well, one well-placed Dispel Magic will take care of that. Um, if you're up against melee, then... Even before you go, if you lose initiative, you can drop a shield, you can drop and absorb elements. Uh, if you're in a situation where you are facing someone who cannot die, um, Finger of Death or uh, Power Word Kill, I believe both will end characters who have low hit points but can't die. So like a Zealot Barbarian who's at zero hit points but still alive, um, or a Druid uh, who's wild-shaped. The other thing that works well in this situation actually is sleep because, you know, if they have no hit points, then you just drop asleep and they'll go unconscious. Same thing uh, with like uh, many different wild shaped animals. And then of course, disintegrate is a, is a long time staple uh, will instantly kill somebody if necessary and dominate will recruit an ally to your side, or at least buy you some breathing room uh, if you're against a solo opponent. Yeah, that's sort of one of the nicest ones, is especially and actually in a battle royale, if you dominate, then you just say, okay, you attack that guy or like you buff me. Like if you can dominate a, ca- a high level caster, great. Immediately have them cast Wish. Mm-hmm. Like to do something crazy so that, you know, they suffer all the terrible effects uh, so that they take damage every time that they cast a spell and hopefully that it does something that helps you. Like, I don't know, summon an army on your side. Um, you will be using darkness cheese here. So like have darkness up on you. You can see through it. Um, you'll have advantage when attacking other people with all those Elgis blasts and other people will have disadvantage, assuming they even know what square that you're in. And just do not underestimate how many different spells require or even abilities, right? Um, class features require that you be able to see the creature that you're targeting. So if they can't see you, and I think it's everyone except for another warlock with devil sight isn't going to actually be able to see you um, unless they're like, I think popping a true sight. Um, they, it's just very difficult for them to target you. Uh, if you are up against someone with true sight or a, um, another warlock, then don't overlook the first level spell fog cloud, which causes a heavy obscurement that uh, nobody can see through. So then in terms of leveling order, we'll start warlock take all of our three warlock levels and then finish out all of our sorcerer levels. All right. So Shane, who is your player killer? My player killer is a specialist. He only gets called in for the big jobs. He, he works for, you know, nobles and uh, the establishment as sort of a contractor, but he's there when adventurers get a little too high, too high on their horse. They get a little too big for their britches. The king needs them knocked back down, right? You can't have a folk hero running around your kingdom and uh, questioning the feudal system that has kept us, uh, or at least has kept me profitable for so long. Um, so you call in the player killer. Uh, if you think you're going to become a player in politics or in the economy, I'm going to kill you. That's fair. It's very fitting too. Mm-hmm. And I bet actually does turn into a kind of battle royale where it's one on many because the people you're probably out to assassinate can probably hire a bunch of minions. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's all about the alpha strike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How about your player killer? My player killer has a chip on her shoulder. Uh, from her early days at a magic school, um, you know, maybe somewhere off far in the Highlands, where she was always forced uh, into wizard duels and was never very good at them because, you know, she only had two spells per short rest. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she's a sorcerer at wizard school. I could see why that would be difficult. Or not even a warlock. <laughs> right. <laughs> I used my two spells and now I'm done, I guess, because, you know, we're only fighting one battle a day. <laughs> so the long rest casters are schooling me every single time. Right. And she decided no more, never again. In fact, she will always be prepared. 
for the fight, for the one-on-one fight, or, you know, for when, when those bullies all gang up on her. Um, five of them, that's fine. She'll take them on. She'll, in fact, uh, force them to fight amongst themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, she's taken this ethos out into, into the world and is ready to stand alone against it. Perfect. Before we wrap up, let's take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters. Yeah, your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. And don't forget, you can also leave us an iTunes review. A five-star review helps us a ton, and we will read it on the air. Just like this one. This is Always Something to Like by M745 from Sweden. This pod differs from most that cater to DMs as you get a small campaign recap, some game mastering tips, and finishing off with a themed character build. I mostly find the middle section useful, but it's nice to have the other bits since it's a nice listen that serves as inspiration both when writing story and fleshing out NPCs. Thanks for a great podcast and keep up the fine work, Magnus. You know, I mostly like the middle section too of like sandwiches, stories, Chicago style pizza. The what the soup part? I actually no, I guess that's that's Is there a middle part? Yeah, maybe cheese not. steaks. I like the middle part. That's just a sandwich. It's cheese not technically a sandwich? a sandwich because it's not two two sections. It needs two pieces of bread. What? Then yeah. if, sub, if it like tears then apart, a then it's a sandwich. So, so like a grinder isn't a sandwich. Uh, it depends. Did you cut all the way through the bread? No, no. If you do the sandwich artist cut from Subway. Uh, yeah, but nothing from Subway is a sandwich because they're <laughs> but disgusting. They're called sandwich it's artists. not food. It's they're no called it's, sandwich artists. It's right in the title. I can always tell when I'm near a Subway because I suddenly smell onion vomit in my nose, and I'm like, <laughs> what? What is going on? Who died? And then ejected it like into the air. Oh, it's Subway. Wonderful. I think just because people in Philly are too lazy to to finish off their slice doesn't mean their cheesesteak isn't a sandwich. Mm, I don't know. If you put cheeses on it, it's not a sandwich. See, I have so many rules. So many rules. These rules are arbitrary and capricious. Yeah. Subway, eat death. What do we have planned for next week's episode? (laughs) We are, we have an adorable theme episode for Valentine's Day. And we are talking about first dates with a new game. And in a character creation bilge. Uh, <laughs> did you say bilge? <laughs> the, the, Sorry, I, I was just, working on a subway joke. <laughs> it's full of water. <laughs> and in the character creation forge? We're building Cupid. Well, that's it for episode 184 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. 